Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 94 MBA podcast. It is Friday, November 9th, but you will be listening to this on November 10th. Um, I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing good. Long, crazy <laughs> week, but such is life in general. Same with the NBA, man. All this crazy stuff happening all the time. I'm I'm ready to get this podcast on the road. Absolutely. And thankfully, you have, you have recovered from, from your flu game performance oh, last week. Yes. It was a memorable performance. <laughs> it definitely was. Hey, I had, I had Scotty, that's the wingman right there. We did it. We survived. <laughs> now we're back. Dynasty, 72 and 10. <laughs> Absolutely. We're back and, and, and ready to go. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll, we'll kick it off with our full core press segment, which we usually do a Twitter mailbag. But this week, because of the, the limited number of questions we received and also because we kind of had this you know, curiosity of what we, what, how the segment would go if we did it in this style. We actually came up with questions for each other. Um, so I've got two questions for Corbin. Corbin has two questions for me. And we're just going to hit each other and have a back and forth. And we, we want to see how this segment can go um, when it's our own, you know, quote unquote, mailbag for each other. So Corbin, my first question for you. <clears throat> so basically, I think every team has played at least 10 games. Some have played 11. Uh, I think maybe a couple have played 12 games. But pretty much everyone's played at least 10 games. So we basically are an eighth of the way through the season. After these first 10 games, what is your top three for MVP at the moment? Wow, that's a good one. Okay, so <laughs> I this can be kind of surprising, but I'm, and this might be recency bias. I would go right now with Joel Embiid. Mm, okay. For, for first, I mean, the the team the seventy sixers aren't playing as strong as you would hope for for an MVP candidate. But I mean, it's still early, and it's not like they've been just total totally horrible. But Joel Embiid has played consistent heavy minutes he's given great production in those minutes i think what tonight he dropped 42 and 18 something like that yeah it's it's just been dominant performances by him and yeah 42 points on 11 to 18 shoot on 11 18 shooting with 18 rebounds and four assists and and he can't be stopped he's just he he's playing so well and he's averaging 34 minutes for the season 28 points per game um 12 rebounds three and a half assists this is just a, a great performance by just a great season-long performance by him so far three weeks in i would have to put him first second would be steph curry mm-hmm. uh, besides this um injury that he just had it was a down game yesterday against the bucks and they did go out with that abductor strain but he's just been lighting the league on fire 29 points a game five rebounds six assists 50 percent from the field 49 percent from three on huge volume i mean he's trying to prove everyone wrong that no one in the Warriors team can get an MVP because they cancel each other out as far as between him and KD primarily, but also just anyone else because he's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, didn't he have a game, a stretch of five games with five or more threes made? Uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but, but he would be set. He would be second for me. Mm-hmm. And then third, and I'm going to talk about him. In fact, I guess this is a perfect, um, <laughs> this is a perfect transition to the question I'm going to ask you afterwards. And this is going to be kind of wild. I know it's out there, and it's not at all, um, you know, more a conventional pick. But, hey, this is me. I would say Kemba Walker. Hmm. Okay. And I would say, I'm, <laughs> I'm only saying that because the dude I, – I, oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm like the biggest Kemba Walker stand this year. He's balling. He's he's really – I mean, the, the team record isn't, I would say, um, consistent with him, like him himself and how he's been playing. But just – so so great. I'm gonna go more into that when I ask you the question in general. But like even tonight, 
the, the Hornets lost that game to 76, but it wasn't because of anything that Kemba Walker didn't do. It was when the ball wasn't in his hands. Things just fell, fell apart. Like, he is such an important cog. And, what, he's in the top five in the NBA in scoring. His efficiency is through the roof. The highest um, effective field goal percentage of his career. He's just playing so well. I mean, like I said, I'm going to go into when I ask you, when I ask you um, my question. But, yeah, that, that would be the order right there. It would be Joel Embiid, Steph Curry, Kemba Walker. Now, you tell me the, the, the perfect uh, conventional one. <laughs> I know he's not in, the, in that one for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I have a more conventional top three, but I like mm-hmm. your reasoning and I like your choices. I mean, Embiid has been a beast. Um, honestly, if the Sixers were a little bit better overall as a team, you know, yeah. you, you, you it would be easy for him to, to be in the top three, if not win it. He's, he's got a plus 14 0.2 net rating um, per clean in the glass, which is better than previous two seasons, and he's always great in those seasons. I mean, he's just such an unstoppable force, um, great defender, defensive player of the year candidate pretty much every year. Obviously, on the offensive end, he's basically been unstoppable. Um, and Kemba, like, man, can we just, like, can we get this guy a good team or at least a couple of good teammates around him? Like, Please. Like, the Hornets, like, I'm not going to knock anybody on their team. Like, they've got some solid role player pieces around him. But, man, like, can you even get, like, someone like a Chris Middleton? Like, he doesn't even have, like, a teammate, like, of, of Middleton's kind of caliber and, and, and skill set. Like, if he had someone of that level, you know, even then the Hornets would be better and we'd get more recognition for Kemba because, like you said tonight, I mean, he was, like, unstoppable in the clutch. You know, that's the step-back threes, driving the rim against Embiid, that layup. Um, he, he's just a one-man show, uh, and obviously one-man – one man shows. That's, I don't know if that's correct grammar, but really Westbrook. <laughs> uh, yeah. Westbrook was one man teams there. Yeah, one, Westbrook was a one man show, one MVP. But even that team, I mean, they won I think forty seven games that year. They lost in the first round in five games. Um, like you have even with a guy like Westbrook, like you have such a such a limited ceiling for such a team built around one guy only. And you know Westbrook's a little bit better than Kemba. You know overall when they're both at their best, but the way Kemba's playing this year. I mean, he's not putting up the triple doubles, of course, but his his play is honestly on the same level of Westbrook two years ago, and he just doesn't have enough around him, uh, even to even to capitalize on a weaker Eastern Conference. But enough rambling for me. I want to give you my answer. My top three. I agree with you on Steph. I have him at number one. Um, the, the numbers are insane. Um, obviously, they have one of the top records in the league. Uh, you know, I think down the stretch of the season. He's gonna lose some votes because you know he'll have there'll be brilliant nights from Clay and Durant, and he's gonna probably skip a lot of fourth quarters and not have as much time to put up stats. Though then again, so far this year it seems he only needs three quarters to put up forty points. Um, <laughs> for real. But you know I think he's gonna get hurt. But for the first ten games is what the, what this question's only on. I have Steph at number one. I've got Kawhi at number two um, oh. because I mean the Raptors are. A, a monster team and, and, and Kawhi is, is back. Like Kawhi is quiet. Ka- Kawhi is quietly. Whew, that is a <laughs> I like it right there. There um, you go. End of the week, Friday punt. No, <laughs> look quietly. He is basically at two years ago level, if not better. I mean, 26 points a game, eight rebounds, a career high 3.3 assists is basically what he did two years ago. 1.8 steals. He's shooting 44% on threes, almost 50% from the field. All the advanced metrics are, are, as good or on the same level of two years ago when he was, you know, basically an MVP top three candidate, he's back uh, quietly. And the Raptors are obviously cruising and, you know, killing everybody in their sights. So that's, that's a key reason I have him. And then Giannis, for a similar reason, he's putting up the numbers and the Bucks are winning. They look like a team that could win 55-plus games when most people, you know, would be pretty surprised if they won 50 coming into the year. So he's got the numbers, he's got the wins. All these guys have the numbers and the wins um, and kind of the narrative as well. 
um, especially for Kawhi as like a comeback narrative. Um, so that's my more conventional, you know, Steph, Kawhi, Giannis, top three for MVP. I like it. No, I have I have the, no problem, obviously, with those picks. The only thing I didn't pick Kawhi is because I know he's still working back and missed a couple games for us. Yeah. And this Raptors team is so strong that, although I would have no problem giving Kawhi the credit at all, it's just that they're, they've been dominant and, and some would argue even more dominant, at least statistically, why he's been gone. Just, I mean, maybe it's because he crushed the Lakers and the way they handled the Jazz. But, you know, it's just a great team around him in general. And the narrative is good. He's, he's back, like you said. But that's the reason I didn't put Kawhi there. And then Giannis as well. I just really wanted to be the biggest Kemba stand. So <laughs> I kind of disregarded that. But, no, yeah, you're, I mean, you're definitely. I mean, I will say that he only Kawhi this year only has a plus 6.1 net rating, which is not, like, elite. Like, it's a, according to Clean it's and Glass, good, it's the yeah. 72nd percentile, which is good, oh, but it's not like an, right. it's not like an Embiid number where his net rating is 14. So it, it, it is a little bit different. I, I do agree with that point that, you know, the team is just such a well-oiled machine without him that it kind, uh-huh. of, it kind of could hurt his MVP candidacy. But I think if he continues to put up the numbers and plays in enough games and they get the, the record, you know, I think the voters would kind of look past that a little bit. Exactly. I feel that. All right. So I'm going to lead right to my, my, my question. Um, and this is... Surprise, surprise. Hashtag Kimba Ballin, right? <laughs> Can we talk about Kimba Walker being an MVP candidate? I think he is already, but I want to get your input. And so that, that's that's where I was. Because even just tonight, a bad a bad shooting night. He went 9 of 29 from the field, 3 of 14 from 3. That That's not really, you know, the best uh, the best campaign pointer right there. But 30.7 rebounds, 9 assists, great stat line. But in the fourth quarter in OT alone, he had 22 points, Five rebounds, four assists, one steal, and no turnovers. Like, you already kind of touched on a little bit some, but do you even have him? Would you have him, let's say, even in your top, let's say, five? Yeah, I probably would. Um, And it's because you have to, at some point, you have to reward the individual performance. You know, obviously the team is six and six, and they're really mediocre, and they can't win close games if their life's depended on it. Honestly, Seriously. for the past three or four years, this Hornets team, no matter who's on the who's the coach or who's on the roster, this team can never win close games. Um, <laughs> but at some point, like just at some point, you look at the MVP award, and you're just like, all right, who is just you know balling out? Like who has just been pretty much unstoppable? And that's Kemba Walker. I mean, twenty eight over twenty eight points a game. Basically, six assists, a little bit over four rebounds per game, knocking down 40% of his threes. He's attempting over 10 three-pointers a game, uh, which is a nice jump from last season. All the advanced metrics uh, are career highs by a wide, wide margin. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting because, like, the on-off numbers, like, last year he had a, a plus 10.5 net rating. Two years ago, he had a plus 12.4 net rating. And then this year, it's only plus 4.3. But a lot of that's because they actually have a capable backup point guard. And Tony Parker, which I will get to later in the podcast. Um, quick little teaser there. Um, there it is. But, you know, unlike having Michael Carter-Williams, who should not be in the NBA anymore, uh, as a backup point guard. They <laughs> Why are you have... feel that bad about him? I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, don't get me started. Okay. Um, they actually have a capable backup point guard. They've actually got, you know, Malik Monk has been a capable off the bench. Um, so, the, you know, the net rating is not as strong as you would like from an MVP candidate. But his, his both his traditional numbers and his advanced numbers are just so elite that if this team had an extra three or four wins, people would really be talking about him. But I say, you know, screw that. Like, just reward the performance. So he would be in my top five just because he's just he's just a one-man show pretty much every night. Yeah, and that's really just what it is. And the, it's, it's, it's sad to me, like you said, the individual performance, because the team is so incredibly average. But And that's no, no um, slight to James Borrego and the coaching. I think he's done a great job getting more out of this roster. 
in terms of the the glut at the wing in big positions and how he's managed that. Tony Parker's been played horrible. I mean, it's not, I would say, just their controls, just the way the roster's constructed. And like you said, they're role players. And he's the one player who's, I mean, he's a star. I wouldn't say superstar, but he's definitely a star player. You already talked about the advanced metrics, um, the career best uh, effective field goal percentage, um, his best true shooting percentage, all, all that volume. He's going to take a hit after tonight's performance. But <laughs> just in general, yeah, I mean, that, that's my guy this year. You're going to hear a lot more about him, fans. Every, I'm not going to top him every episode, but, like, I may. <laughs> <laughs> listen, I we'll mean, see how it goes. Listen, I mean, if he, keeps up, is it, if he keeps up this up for the entire season, we have to talk about him as a superstar, not even a star. Like, if he can yes. play like this, and, again, you know, it might be hard because it will wear down, you know, the, the high usage and maybe his efficiency will tumble and everything mm-hmm. like that. But if he can somehow keep this level of performance up for the season or at least for, like, three-fourths of the season, you know, I think he would cement himself as a superstar in perfect timing as he enters unrestricted free agency looking for a one big contract as he is going to be 29 at that point so that's another yeah, prime that's another fascinating thing i saw on twitter a couple people commenting as he was going off tonight in crunch time that just the interesting scenarios that could happen of his contract you know do the hornets just max him out because they want to keep him or maybe they're just worried that they're going to be stuck in neutral and don't want to do it you know what other team gets desperate not desperate but what other team has the money i mean a lot of teams have money to spend and he's a, a i mean if he's not a number one, he's definitely a number one A to pair with somebody. So, like, the Clippers have max space for two players. Could they do Kemba and, and another player? Could, you know, a New York team look for to add Kemba? Um, there are just so many teams that could be available for Walker. Obviously, he's going to be looking for that max and what the Hornets do. And, obviously, he's 29. I think he's going to be really good for the next, you know, two or three years. I do think that the final year or two of that deal would be pretty bad. Um, yeah. But I think Little that... Little guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, God, Chris Paul looks like he's 40 years old already. Oh, my um, gosh. They play a little bit differently. And honestly, Kemba plays more physical and relies more on his athleticism than Paul does. And Paul's 33 and he looks like he's 40. Um, so that's another concern. But honestly, that, that's a little bit down the road. But I, I just wanted to bring that up because it is going to be really interesting to watch. Obviously, there are a lot of stars hitting free agency, but Kemba's free agency is really, really interesting. Oh, yeah. I can't really wait to monitor that one. <laughs> um, all right. I'll move on to my second question. So this, I, I mentioned New York teams. Uh, this is a, a little bit of a more interesting question. It's two years from now. Got to put on your forward-thinking lenses, and, and we're talking about 2020-2021 NBA season. Which Whoa. New York team will be better two years from now? Whew. I'm, I'm going to go with Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to Brooklyn because, like, Karis LeVert, we, we were just talking about this before he we went on here. I know you got a lot to say about him, but he's been playing star, star level. Just just amazing right there. Spencer Dinwiddie as well, I, I think, is very strong. It depends. It remains to be seen what's going to happen with D'Angelo Russell, whether the Nets decide to keep him or, you know, a restricted free agency is coming his way, whether they decide to let him go. But Jared Allen's great. They have their um, they have their draft pick this year, so they'll probably get a nice young talent to build around to build with that collection there. Um, I like Coach Kenny Atkinson and his coaching, and that's not even a sight to Coach De- um, Coach Fisdale up in New York. But I just am, am more confident in Brooklyn's future, just because they've been building the right way for a couple of years now, and it's just starting to to come to fruition as far as player development, just just playing the right way. You know, having this fun offensive style, but also playing defense. I mean, just in general. Where in New York, you know, you still have to see how Przingis is when he comes back. Kevin Knox has been great. They have they have good guys in New York, but we're still they're still trying to find a guard or not a guard, a star guard. They're still trying to find a star. 
um, to kind of pair with them. So I think this upcoming free agency is going to be huge for them, but there's so much uncertainty in that. I'm a big fan of Coach Fisdale, but I mean, it's it's really their their roster. I think is very much still a work in progress because I think most of the players on this on this roster right now for New York will not be there come 22. And so that and it remains to be seen who's going to be there in their place. Will they have a Kevin Durant? Will they get a Kemba Walker? You know, like how will that work with the talent that they already have there? So, so that's why I'm I'm gonna say the Nets. But man, they're just the Nets are just a good team, man. I mean, maybe not. You know, they're not gonna make the playoffs like that kind of thing. But they're good. And the Knicks, Alonzo Trier, I gotta get some love to him. Um, Tim Hardaway Jr. like the way he's been playing. I mean, he scores. That's about it. But he scores. <laughs> and yeah, but I'm looking at this roster even now. And Mitchell Robinson, gotta give the guys some. The guy could be a beast. But other than that, there's still a lot of uncertainties on this roster. And I also think Ron Baker, this may be a, a crazy guess, but I don't think he'll be on this next roster in 22. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I agree with you. Um, I, I'll go with the Nets. And really what it came down for me is, really, we know both teams are going to be focused on adding something in free agency. Um, both have the money to add a star, and they both obviously are going to be swinging for that. But if they both swing and miss on stars, which I think is a real yeah, possibility, yeah. we've we really recently seen that the, the the market, the New York, the aura of New York, especially for the Knicks, has just not really worked. Now maybe Fisdale as a kind of a players coach, all these connections can help him there. But I don't, I don't think team, I don't think players, you know, would view the Knicks, especially the uncertainty of Porzingis and basically nothing else around them for real. I mean, we don't know Kevin Knox, how good he's going to be. Frank Nealakina has to figure things out on the offensive end. Um, Mitchell Robinson can be good, but again, it's so hard to rely on those guys when you're signing with them in free agency, especially if you're in the prime of your career. That I don't think teams would look at the uh, players would look at the Knicks and be like, "Oh, you know, if I go there, like we're definitely a top three or four seed." Um, you know, who's my who's going to be my sidekick if Porzingis is hurt? You know, things like that. If both teams swing and miss in free agency, which I think is a real possibility, I just would just straight up go with the Nets' core over the Knicks' core. And obviously, there's a main reason is because of Porzingis' injury risk, but then also what's behind Porzingis. I mean, Levert, which again, like you said, I'll talk about him later in the next segment, um, is blossoming into a, a go-to guy. Uh, I like Jared Allen as as the center of the future there. He's kind of like a, just focusing on rim running and defending the rim. He's not going to post up or anything like that. They play the right style of play with threes um, and shots at the rim, eliminating mid rangers. They they're just competitive. They got I like their front office. I like Kenny Atkinson building the right culture and organization there. Um, so I think it really comes down to if both swing and miss in free agency. I just take the Nets core of the next the next core two years from now. Obviously, the Nets have some interesting decisions to make because Russell's a restricted free agent. Hollis Jefferson, restricted free agent. Spencer Dinwiddie's going to be a free agent, so they got to see what they're going to figure out there. But I think if both come, if it comes down to both of them swinging and missing in free agency, I take the Nets. And hell, the Nets might sign somebody who could actually put them over and be a top six, top five seed if they don't even make the playoffs. I mean, they could sneak into the playoffs this year, honestly. Um, but we're talking two years from now. I just I have more faith in the in the Nets core than the Knicks core. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, wouldn't it be crazy? And it's not going to happen. But if the Nets got Kevin Durant? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it would be oh, perfect man. for them, but no. The, yeah, exactly. Not going to happen. But that, that's just one could dream or play 2K. <laughs> it's true. All right. So here's my second question here. And it's it's more – it's this year. I mean, that was fun going to the future. I might have to think about that um, moving forward. But mine is, who do you have more faith in to make the playoffs in the West this year? The Grizzlies or the Clippers? And so, you know, they're right – in the thick of it in the Western Conference, Grizzlies are six and four, Clippers six and five. They're both really good at home. Grizzlies are four and zero, oh, Clippers are four and one. And away, they're both not so good. They're both tied at two at four. But um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to 
get your input on who do, who do you have more confidence in. And this is funny because we had a conversation, um, I think, during our uh, our training camp podcast where the question was posed, um, who would make the who would be more likely to make the playoffs, the Grizzlies or the Mavericks? And I was all in on that Mavericks train, and I'm all off of it now. <laughs> but you know, in this one, I just want to see what you think between the Grizzlies and the Clippers. This is a really interesting question because I, the the numbers for these teams are so similar. I mean, they're the the Clippers are tenth in net rating at three at plus three point six. The Grizzlies are eleventh at plus two point six. Um, basically, have almost the same records. They do it in different ways. Obviously, the Grizzlies. I mean, the Clippers are seventh offensively and fifteenth defensively, while the Grizzlies are nineteenth offensively and fifth defensively. They're back to grit and grind, and so far it's working for them. I mean, the epitome of grit and grind was that that win against the Nuggets. Um, that was just a slow grinded out game that they yeah. they somehow pulled it out um and i mean listen they haven't lost at home so they're gonna be it feels like they're gonna and the clippers are also four and one at home so both of these teams are two and four on the road i mean you couldn't have picked two more similar teams for this question um i'm dancing around uh and i, I think <laughs> i think i'll go with the clippers and i think it's because one is the injuries i still i still you know obviously it's only been 10 games so this time last year, I think the Grizzlies were also 6-4 and four or something like this. They had a good start last year, and then obviously Conley went down, and Gasol was pouting, and the rest was blown up. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but again, you know, I think it's a little bit too early to not write off the injuries. Like They could creep up here and there, and I feel like an injury to Conley or an injury to Gasol, who's, who's having a bounce back here, especially on the defensive end, would be killer for them, especially if they can't maintain their defense moving forward. Um, I feel like the Clippers just have enough guys where they can withstand an injury or two. Obviously, Gallinari hasn't gone down yet, um, and he's probably going to, let's be honest here. Um, Beverly has some injury risk. Gortat's looking pretty shot at this point. Um, I think I'll just go with the Clippers. I think I just trust their depth a little bit more. I think I trust their, you know, a little bit closer to, I mean, their a good offense and basically an average defense um, while the Grizzlies are kind of slagging, slagging behind uh, offensively. So I'll go with the Clippers because of their depth. Um, and, you know, I think that their style of play is a little bit more consistent. Um, and I think the Grizzlies have too much relying on older injury risk rattled players. I, I have to agree with you. I was going to go with the Clippers as well. And quick note, Shai Gilgis Alexander, I think can make a Karis LeVert jump next year. Hmm. All right, mark it down. What is it, uh, November 9th, 2018? Yep. Hot, hot take, you may think right now, but give it a year, man. The dude the dude looks like a player so shifty, so much poison savvy already. I mean, I like that kid. Yeah, I, I really do. He's been really impressive so far as a rookie. Yep, yep. All right, so that's our full-court press, four segments. This is this is good. I think we'll have to do this another time uh, sometime soon. It, it's fun to kind of come up with your own questions and, you know, think about them. Um, yeah, I and, like that. That was kind of fun. And with that, we'll move on to our half-court heave prediction segment. And uh, I will get us started because we already teased it before. Uh, this is about Karis LeVert. And my half-court heave prediction is that Karis LeVert will win Most Improved Player of the Year this season. Okay. Last season, 12.1 points, 3.7 rebounds, 4.2 assists. That, that is some solid role player spot starter numbers right there. He can handle the ball. Um, he can score a little bit. Um, this season... He's pretty much just exploded offense, at least scoring-wise. He's up to 20.5 points per game. These stats are pulled before tonight's game. Um, 20.5 points per game, 4.6 rebounds, 3.9 assists per game. He's actually playing over 31 minutes per game, which if anyone has ever followed the Nets since Kenny Atkinson took over, almost no one... Actually, I'm not sure anyone's ever played averaged over 30 minutes per game under Kenny Atkinson. Um, and Levert is averaging over 31 minutes per game. So obviously he's a key go-to guy and, and Atkinson trusts him. 
But then you look at the increase in usage. He had a 22.5% usage percentage last year that's jumped up to basically 5% higher to 27.4%. But usually when people, especially with young players, have an increase in usage and responsibility, they actually are less efficient. But Levert's actually improved his efficiency as he has a career-high 58.2 true shooting percentage, um, which will dip down a little bit after he was somewhat inefficient tonight. Um, but listen, he's got career highs not only in, in, in the scoring and the efficiency and the usage, but other advanced stats. I mean, his PER is, is 20.5. His box plus minus is plus 2.5. Even his win shares per 48 minutes is, is 0. 0.140, uh, which is a career high. Um, and then you look at it, the, his situation. It's his third year in the league, so it feels like it's the perfect time to win the award. It's usually given to kind of young, developing players. And you also look at the key thing, which a lot of awards have decided on, not even most improved, is, is having memorable moments. And listen, he had, a, he had a, we were talking before we got on the air, he had a game winner against the Nuggets in Denver um, to give the Nets a road win. Um, and he also had a, a, a game winner against the Knicks early in the year. He already has two game winners this season. Those are memorable moments that people remember when he when the season is over and you look at his stats and he goes, wow, these are impressive stats. Oh, he had these game winners. He had four game winners and he obviously led them and they almost made the playoffs or maybe they snuck into the playoffs, something like that. So all those reasons, he's having a, he's having a, a Victor Oladipo light season. Um, and I think Karis LeVert will win most improved player of the year. I like that. I mean, that's a compelling case. And the dude, I mean, all you got to do is look at some, even on YouTube, y'all, look at some highlights, man. That dude, wow, something else, something else. Uh, he is what I wished D'Angelo Russell would be in Brooklyn right now. All right, no more. Pour a drink, a little bit of water off for him. All right. So mine is another team specific. If y'all remember last week, I made a, I forgot, because I don't really like to remember the one, the half-court heaves that I miss. But, um... I said the Lakers going to go undefeated, and they immediately got just shell-shacked by <laughs> um, Toronto and just totally threw that aside. But, you know, I learned slowly, so I'm going to go at it again. And this is with the OKC Thunder. They are absolutely rolling right now. They improbably are leading the league right now as far as a win streak with their seventh straight win on Thursday when they beat the Rockets. And, I mean, I, you might have something to add about the Rockets later, so I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna really going to touch too much on that there, Eric. But um, it's crazy because they were 0-4 just a few weeks ago after a rough start. I was already kind of down on them. It was kind of bad. And this winning streak is rather improbable. The, the Thunder joined the 2006-2007 Dallas Mavericks as the only two teams in NBA history to win seven straight games after starting the season 0-4. And that team would go on to win 12 consecutive games to improve the 12-4 before eventually losing to snap that streak. Coincidentally... Not only do the Thunder face the Mavericks, the Mavericks tomorrow to make it eight in a row, or to hopefully make it eight in a row, but four of their five next five games are against teams that are all currently under 500. So they play the Mavs, they play the Phoenix Suns twice, oh, and they play the Knicks. With the Kings, the only team in that stretch above 500, um, they're currently six and five, and they are beating Minnesota by 12 with eight minutes left in the fourth. So they could possibly go to seven and five. Who would have thunk that? Anyway, <laughs> my half court heave is that. The Thunder will go. I mean, the Thunder will go 11. I'm going to hold that Kings game out, but I think they'll beat the Mavericks, beat the Suns twice, and beat the Knicks. All right, some confidence there. And actually, I mean, I mean, it's good. I mean, I, I picked them to be, I think, the third seed, but I thought they were going to be really good this year. And they got to that slow start, and I was getting a little bit worried. And you know, Russ came back, and obviously, he missed the past two games with that ankle injury. But listen, their defense, their length, um, their athleticism is just too much to handle on, on a night-to-night basis for most teams. And if they get if they get a hot shooting night or even a decent shooting night, and some nights they get a special Westbrook performance, some nights they get you know electrifying Schroeder off the bench. They got 
they've got more, and then obviously they hopefully they get Roberson back to even strengthen their defense. So, listen, I thought they're going to be really good, and this winning streak is going to be a, a nice turnaround for them. Yep, it's exciting, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, that'll wrap up our half court heave, and now we will move on to our second main segment, our three points. I'm going to continue with a, a segment I started last week, which is basically role players to show love to. Um, and this week I picked three different role players. I want to spice things up a little bit. Um, and we'll start with Garrett Temple, who is quietly having a career year um, with the Grizzlies. And I remember when they traded for him, I just loved the move for, for what they were trying to do, go back to grit and grind and get a 3 and D wing who can handle the ball a little bit. And so far, everything is paying off for them. He's averaging a career-high 12.4 points per game. He's knocking down 42% of his three-pointers. He's playing over 31 minutes per game and starting every night, so he's obviously a key player for them. And honestly, what he does to their defense is, is incredible. The defense improves by 16 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. Uh, I mean, that is just a staggering um, number, and, and really it just shows that he's a key part of, of the Grizzlies' return to grit and grind. Um, he's out there in the closing lineups. You know, Obviously, he's starting. Um, he's a, really just such a perfect fit alongside Conley and Gasol on, on, on the wing um, with Kyle Anderson and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, you know, his shooting is, is really valuable for this team because Jaron Jackson hasn't been shooting well. Kyle Anderson obviously doesn't shoot. Um, and they need Temples. They need Temples shooting. They need Temples scoring. But, of course, they need his defense as well. So, you know, I want to show a lot to Garrett Temple, who at this point in his career, um, he's also going to be a free agent after the season. Um, I think he's 30. One or thirty-two years old. He's having a, he has having a career year for the Grizzlies, and you know we we just talked about them you know having kind of a bounce back and, and a solid start. And I think that you know besides Conley and Gasol being healthy and more engaged and a little bit better than last season, at least for for Gasol um, and some of their new additions, Kyle Anderson you know had a rough start to his Grizzlies tenure, but Garrett Temple is just he hit the ground running with the Grizzlies. So I want to show love to Temple. Um, when we were talking about Kemba in, in the previous in, in the. Uh, Full court press. I mentioned that he has a solid backup, and that is Tony Parker, who's my second role player to show love to, because um, he's having a bounce back year. He's averaging ten point one points and four point eight assists per game. He's actually got a plus eight point one net rating, um, and really that's mainly a result of the offense. He's actually a negative on the defensive end, but when he's on the floor, the offense improves by ten point three points per one hundred possessions, which is just a, a staggeringly elite number. Um, and listen, really what it comes down to for the Hornets and for Parker, I mean, he, he's been really solid. And like I said, he's having a bounce back year, but even it's, it's more important and more noticeable because, you know, after the Hornets had to suffer and I mean, suffer through Michael Carter Williams last season, oh, wow. I mean, Parker's ability to just run the bench units in a competent way and his ability, he's been playing in some small lineups, like you said. They've been going to some small ball, doing some, you know, multi-guard lineups and everything, kind of getting a little bit more creative, a little bit more modern. Just It's just been really key for the Hornets that he's able to do all those things, either be the backup point guard in a traditional setting and just run the offense or fit in in small ball lineups. And listen, I mean, we thought he was pretty much shot. He's, he's still obviously, you know, got his weaknesses, especially on the defensive end. But offensively, he's giving them probably a little bit more than they could have expected, at least more than I expected. And he's been a really solidifying presence for their bench and a reason why they're six and six instead of, you know, they probably would be worse if they didn't have Tony Parker and they still had Michael Carter Williams. Um, maybe I should title this episode, the Michael Carter Williams slander episode, because it's going to continue. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I feel that. I feel that being a recurring theme <laughs> for the whole season, as long as he's on the roster. Um, <laughs> and my third role player is Montrez Harrell. Um, 12.7 points, six rebounds, 
one steal and 1.8 blocks per game. He's shooting. He has a 69.3 true shooting percentage, which is really, really strong. Um, he's got career highs in all of the advanced stats. He's playing the most minutes of his career. He's got a positive plus three net rating, which isn't you know incredible, but it's still solid. Um, and I mentioned Marcin Gortat pretty much being shot right now, and that's opened the door for Hale having a featured role on the Clippers. And you know they signed him for a two-year, twelve million dollar deal, and I think that's six million dollars for him both this season and even next season. Might be a bargain for him if he continues playing this way. He's just such an energy guy, and I think we talked about him a couple of episodes ago. Maybe it was even the division preview that we did for the for the Clippers in the in the. I Pacific. think it was. Yeah, because <laughs> we just talked about him like just being that spark plug always. Whenever he's on the floor, just the energy you know increases. It's kind of like the Patrick Beverly of big men, honestly. Um, uh-huh. He's just he's a more offensive player than defensive player. Obviously, when you if he's your center, your rebounding is going to suffer, uh, which probably limits him from being a starter or playing, you know, 30 minutes a game. Um, but he just brings the energy. He brings the excitement. He brings the athleticism. Um, and so far, it's working out for him and the Clippers. So Garrett Temple, Tony Parker, and Montrez Hill are my three role players to show up to this week. I like it. I like it. Wow. Especially some love on Tony Parker, because <laughs> in my opinion, he went to Charlotte and just disappeared. But you've been you've been giving these unsung heroes a little bit of um, some love. It's, it's appreciated, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't want them to be unsung for, for long, you know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, you're the only podcast other than maybe a Grizzly-centric one where you really hear some Garrett Temple love. So, Listen, yeah, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite players all, of all time is Omer Ashik, so you know I love role players. <laughs> oh, wow. I do. Yep, yep. And your love for Ashik has been well-documented. <laughs> so I've been here. <laughs> all right, so. My first point um, is concerning one star player, actually, um, Blake Griffin. And I, I gave him you know, a little bit of a shout-out when he had that 50-point game a couple weeks ago. But in general, I think there's more of a, of a concerned spotlight because he's had a crazy, crazy load. He's been a monster so far in Detroit, 25 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists per game. He, but this is the thing that kind of bugs me. He leads the league in touches. That's, I mean, good for him. It's also it's it's also a lot of like leading the league in touches. That for for a team that has Andre Drummond as, as a I would say a, a set, not a second banana but another option as well as Reggie Jackson who is usually not shy about getting shots up. I think that's concerning for the Detroit team. Also, his thirty one point five percent usage rate is a career high, and he plays almost thirty seven minutes a night, and that's the most since rookie year. And this is Blake Griffin, who we know is good to miss fifteen games a season. And knock on wood. You know, he's still healthy, hasn't gotten injured yet. But I think the thing is not only how much he's been playing and how basically Blake-centric the entire offense is, it plays entirely through him, but also it, it's 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 the dependence on him. Teams have definitely started to figure it out. They're adapting a game plan to take him out of it on the offensive end. We kind of saw glimpses of that from Philadelphia when he did that 50-point game. Because remember, a lot of the points he scored was on single coverage on Dario Saric, and he was also able to get Ben Simmons down there, um, the second matchup they had. But then, later on, you know, they put a bigger defender on him, and he's still, Blake Griffin is still a, a way more skilled of a player than he was years ago. Maybe that would have been more of a, a deterrent to him years past, but he's still a lot more skilled now. However, it wasn't even just that. They started sending double teams in, um, and, and switching up the coverages and how they did that. They had, you know, obviously from the sides, you had a, a player drop down from the top to not only deny entry, but also once he gets the ball, as soon as that ball is caught, double right there. You know, entry inside, they're doubling to play him off. And the problem is I don't see the Pistons adjusting as well as I would like. And Reggie Jackson's kind of been 
uh, down season, especially shooting the ball. I think it's adjusting to playing with the Ishmith, um, with this new roster full time. But you would think, or have at least a little more hope and confidence, they'd be pl- being play- playing better than he is now. Andre Drummond's had monster games and then games where he's not really a factor. And even when he is, he doesn't have the dynamic ability of Blake Griffin to, you know, just bend the offense to his will. So that's an issue. And then also, if he is injured, then what? Because the Pistons, outside of tonight, where I think they shot, what, close to 50% from three? They shot 42.6%. There you go. And they were in, in all their players, I mean. They hit 23-pointers. Like, there you go. And for the most part, I mean, that's that's definitely an outlier for their season because they haven't had it. Luke Kennard's been out. Reggie Jackson's been rough from three. Um, Reggie Bullock's been rough from three. They're obviously missing Anthony Tolliver, who I'm watching just not hit a three. Um, it's, 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 it's a lot. That's, that's my point. It's a lot for Blake Griffin. I don't know how long he can handle this load. I guess he's another player that if, if Detroit was playing a little bit better and even with them now, they could say, wow, you know, MVP, but I won't be throwing that around all the time. Well, he could be MVP. He could be MVP, but (laughs) you know, he's had very good solid numbers, but I think it's the dependence of the Pistons on him could be something to really monitor moving forward. And it's kind of scary if you think about it, especially the Detroit Pistons fan. Not me, but I'm saying if anyone is. I mean, well, that, that's the thing because, like, 10-game samples, like, so many people are having these insane numbers and they're on, like, solid to decent teams. That That's what makes MVPs so valuable is that they're actually, you know, at that level for, like, 70 of 80 games instead of 10 of 10 games, um, which is why everyone, <laughs> see, everyone seems like yeah. an MVP at this point. But obviously by game 30, we'll kind of weed out some of these guys and then by game 60, we'll have basically our top three kind of cemented. Um, you telling I, me no one can be elite so can't be MVP? <laughs> 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 um, All right, but yeah, I agree. It's it's a big load for him. You know the numbers. Like today, he had a rough night. I mean, six points, two of ten shooting, one of five from three, and you know that, that's the thing. He's been shooting over forty percent on threes, which you know in previous seasons he was around thirty four percent. So that was an outlier, and we'll see if that comes down and and how they you know how that impacts his game, and is he more aggressive drawing fouls or going to the rim, or does he kind of try and get that shot back a little bit more? Um, obviously, the the minutes load, the usage. Um, just how he has to do so much uh, offensively, I, I do share that concern, especially if he goes down, they're going to be in big, big trouble. Even if a guy like Reggie Jackson goes down and the load has to increase for Griffin, that's just going to be you know big trouble for them. So I definitely agree with you on, on that end. Um, my second point is rumors of Kyle Lowry's demise were greatly exaggerated. What? Everyone <laughs> last year was that oh Kyle Lowry he's got you know he's he's putting up these very average pedestrian you know traditional numbers and the advanced stats are good but they're not that good and blah he's you know 32 33 you know it's kind of over for him and now this season he's just exploded in, in at least for his playmaking averaging 11.3 assists per game I mean his previous career high was 7.4. Uh, he has jumped. Wow. He's making. He's making honestly like a Nash level jump. Uh, at least putting up MVP Nash level numbers. At least I mean this season, seventeen point eight points, eleven point three assists, four point three rebounds per game. Those are pretty much like Nash MVP numbers. Uh, shooting thirty nine percent on threes. He's got career highs in PER at, at twenty four. Win shares per 48 at, at .254, and then true shooting at 63.2, which is a staggeringly elite number right there. Okay, I hope you're sitting down for this. When <laughs> when Kyle Lowry is on the floor, the Raptors' offense improves by 29 points per 100 possessions. 29 what? points! Whoa! <laughs> it's insane. I mean, because Kawhi is getting all this attention, and I have him in, in the top three of MVP, like I said earlier. 
But listen, Lowry, I mean, <laughs> Lowry turning into MVP Nash is, is and, and alongside Kawhi, is a key reason for this Raptors' success and, and obviously will be moving forward, especially if he can play at this level. Um, I mean, listen, he, he, what he does is he's, he's looking for Pascal Siakam in transition, and, and Siakam is such an enjoyable player to watch. Like, he can't really shoot, um, but he can handle the balls a big. He just he brings all that energy. He's kind of one of those, like, spark plug energy guys like Amontrez Harrell. Um, he's got the length. He's got the defensive awareness. He runs the floor in transition, and, and Lowry's finding him and rewarding him. Um, Lowry's also rewarding Ibaka a lot, who's playing a lot more center, um, and I pulled the stat from Zach Lowe's article today of, of 10 things um, he likes and dislikes. Lowry has dished dimes on 28% of his ball screens, which is the third highest mark among all rotation players. And I think the other two rotation players were Tia Dosich and, and somebody else, players who just don't shoot, really. Um, so listen, I mean, 17.8 points is, is like not crazy in terms of his scoring, but the assist and the, the amount of value he's providing – um, with his playmaking and getting the ball around and getting everyone engaged and getting this well, he's running. He's pretty much running this well-oiled machine, like I said earlier, uh, which are, which are the Raptors and Kawhi is obviously back to MVP form, which is a big thing. But I think Lowry, if we if we were kind of extending our MVP list out to six, seven, eight, I think he would have to be in it because what he's doing, leading this Raptors team, you know, especially offensively, but even defensively, being a solid defensive player at his age, is, is really impressive. Yeah, that's that's something else. You're definitely right, and if I, I got to say, now that you mentioned it, I was one of those people that was like, yeah, Kyle Lowry, regression is real. I mean, especially to bounce back in such a major way. That's – and I'm saying this, like you said, the numbers the numbers speak for themselves. It's, it's – wow. I mean, it's understandable so- that people thought he was declining because two years ago, 16-17, he averaged 22.4 points, seven assists, um, and shot 41% on threes. And then last year, he dipped all the way down to barely 16 points per game. Um, basically same assist, a little bit more rebounds, 2% less, or 1%, you know, worse shooting. He's basically the same player in terms of his shooting, his passing, and his rebounding. Just the scoring dipped 8 points per, per game. Um, and now the scoring is slightly up, the assists are, have almost doubled, um, and the defense is still there. So I, I do understand people just looked at the scoring, um, and, you know, kind of got maybe a little bit stale with the Raptors, I guess. Um, but he is back and probably, honestly, better, maybe better than ever, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, got to go there. All right, so my second point, I was trying to find a team, and I, I, I couldn't figure out a team that would best replicate last year's Orlando Magic in a team that is starting just red hot. Are they for real? Are they a phase? You know, are they sustainable? Are they not? And then, you know, they fall back to the mean, and, and we realize um, poor enough for the late Dennis Green. They are who we thought they were, whatever it was. I forget. I'm not a football guy. I got to work on that. Shouldn't have used it. Anyways, um, I'm looking, and I'm thinking that I'm watching the team right now. That is just a, a team. They're, they're playing so – I mean, okay, it's Sacramento Kings. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving some love here because I think we were talking before. I, their, their pace, the way they play, it's, it, it's sustainable in the pace. The shooting is kind of crazy, but they're just playing way better than expected. Who thought that they will be – I mean, right now, they're up nine in crunch time over the Minnesota Timberwolves. If they win this game, they're what, seven and five? I, I, I didn't even give them the time of day to think that they would be in this type of scenario as far as a scrappy team that I, I, you just saw me. I didn't even want to give the Thunder a win over them. Like, <laughs> and this for my half-court eve. What, what's, I don't know what, really what's going on with them. They've, they had a five-game winning streak. They their pace they were they were last dead last in the association pace last season at ninety four point nine possessions per forty eight minutes. They now top the league in that. Not only are they getting up and down faster, but their efficiency is also 
close to record setting. And the pieces on this team, I don't know. I guess I, they're just they just work for this roster. Yeah, they have a lot of mid-range jump shots. I think they're dependent on. Yeah, they're maybe not a, a crazy amount outside of. Um, Buddy Heald and Nemanja Bielitsa on three-point shooting. I mean, Amon Shepard can get up and down there, and Justin Jackson exists. But um, it's 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 just crazy, I think. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm trying to just point – it's not even a second point. It's more of a second talking point. Like, how do you take context or stock in the Kings? Do you have faith that this is a improvement moving on, I guess, to use that as a question? Or is this more like a mirage a la, you know – Orlando Magic of last year. I'm of the opinion that it's a mirage, but I think that this pace is sustainable, and these pieces, particularly um, Darren Fox, Buddy Hield, even though he's not exactly young at 25, and just um, Willie Cauley-Stein, like, these guys are just really scrappy, and Coach has them playing in a way that's just, it's, it's crazy. Well, I mean, they have gotten a lot of strong development. Like, Fox has taken a huge step. Heald has been, you know, an elite shooter, an offensive scorer. Kali Stein has been really, really improved as that big man. Um, they have the youth to, to play this run-and-gun, you know, fast style of play for the entire season. Like, you're not relying on old players that are probably want to slow it down. Like, these are young guys that probably want to run whenever they get the chance, and that'll catch a lot of teams off guard um, on a night-to-night basis. I think it's it's a mirage because I don't see them, you know, I'm not, I don't see them being a playoff team or winning, you know, 37 to 40 games or anything like that. But it's it's a different mirage. I think it's just like eventually I think teams will stop sleeping on them and I think their talent will kind of, you know, run out a little bit. Um, because I say it's not a it's a different mirage because their their shooting numbers are are very similar. And I actually covered this. One of my three points last week was about the Kings. Um, I kind of remember this being familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember looking it up. And they're pretty much the same. They're 27th in three-point percentage of attempts. They're 27th in three-pointers attempted, which is similar. I think they were bottom five last year. And they're fourth in percentage this year as a team shooting 38.6%. But that seems really high. But last year, I think they were around 38% as a team as well. Um, So it's not like the Magic where last year was so clear that they were just shooting insane for the first 10 games. And then their shooting fell off a cliff. Like, it, you know, it basically reverted to the mean. And then they lost a lot of games. This team is shooting very similar. They're doing the same shot chart to a lot of mid-range jumpers. Um, they, they're they okay on them. Um, they're a good three-point shooting team, but they don't take that many threes. I think what will happen is their talent will just kind of run out, in, 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 quote-unquote, or in that sense, because teams will stop sleeping on them, and teams will get, you know... Again, we're still so early where it's hard to tell, and this is funny because it'll get to my next, my third point, which is a, a little game I'm going to play. Um, All right. Uh, but... I think that it's just it's easy to catch teams off guard in the first 10, 20 games, but we'll see what happens in January when you know these these top teams are you know really cemented in how in in their rotation in their style of play. Maybe a trade or some kind of move has been made. So, uh, you know, I'll see what happens if you know who knows. Come January, they can go on a ten game losing streak and you know fall off a cliff right there. So I love what I've seen from their development. I think it's a good thing that this this start is basically coming on the backs of. A, a better style of play for this roster in terms of running with their youth and also just their young guys taking steps up. That Those are two positive developments. But I do think it's somewhat of a mirage. I think that on a night-to-night basis, moving forward as teams get more comfortable playing them, their talent will kind of have a limited ceiling. I, I can respect that. That was my second point. It's more of a question, but there you go. We'll <laughs> twist it, spice it up a little bit. All right, so like I said, I'm going to play a little game. Uh, and you were talking about teams with a hot start, like the Kings. I'm going to do a game called Slump or Serious. Uh, it's a ter- oh. terrible title, but you know what? Yeah, it's, it's applicable. I get you. I feel it. <laughs> it's pretty much 
I want to analyze some of these slow starts for for the quote-unquote top teams, teams that were expected to be playoff teams, top six seeds, you know, in, in their respective conferences. Of course, we're going to start with the Rockets, who are one say, of, if not one of, if not the most memorable slow start. Though I guess we'll get to Washington in a second. Um, four, four and six, um, a, a minus seven point seven net rating. That. 27th ranked offense and the 21st ranked defense. So everyone talking on Twitter, oh, the defense is missing a reason with Mamute. Stop. Because I had someone, you know, I had to discuss this with someone on Twitter today. Mabamute, if anyone hasn't been paying attention, has only played in four games this year. He's been injured and missed a lot of time. So let's not act like if he was on the Rockets, he would be playing because he's injured. Um, and Ariza's been solid for the Suns, but Ennis has been just as good, if not better, than Trevor Ariza. Um, obviously, Carmelo Anthony's just a killer, a complete killer defensively. Like, you just can't play him on defense. Um, and what's happening is their offense has actually been worse than their defense, especially in the past week or so. They actually had a solid three-game winning streak uh, against the Nets, the Bulls, and then a, a nice road win against the Pacers. And people are like, oh, maybe they're getting back. They're finally getting healthy. Of course, Eric Gordon gets hurt. He missed that game and, and didn't play the next game either. Um and, you know, this team, I think what's happened is, is injuries. You know, Harden missed a couple games. Chris Paul got suspended. James Ennis missed a couple games. Eric Gordon has now missed three games. Um, injuries, the suspension, and I think poor defensive communication is really what's plaguing them. Um, they also can't hit a three if their life depended on it. They're down to 32.6% as a team, which I think is 4% worse than last season. Um I think that there is a way they're going to turn it around in some sense. I think that they'll get healthy. They'll either get healthy and just play better or they'll make a trade or some kind of roster upgrade and play better. Um, or the talent will might, might win out on a night to night basis. But I think 10 games in, I think we've got enough. I think we've seen enough of the Rockets to rule them out of the top contender tier. Um, and basically what that means, I, I guess some people would view that as only the Warriors are in that tier, but I'm looking at it as a, as a tier with the Warriors and, and probably, honestly, the Raptors at this point. If the Rockets played the Raptors in a series, I don't think they would stand a chance. Um, I think that would be a sweep at this point. I'm talking about that kind of level. So I think that you look at the, you look at the NBA landscape. You've got the Warriors, obviously. I think the Raptors are in that group, uh, are the two top teams, I think, in the league right now. The Bucks are really are right behind them, you know. Blazers and Nuggets are off to nine and three starts. I want to see a little bit more from them to really consider them top contender teams, especially because the Nuggets have never made the playoffs with this current core. Um, so I wouldn't. I would just see. I say, I think what's going to happen is the Rockets, based on talent and maybe a roster upgrade and just health and things, you know, percentage shooting reverting back to the mean, will get into the playoff. Maybe be a six seed. Um, could either get a first round upset or, or be eliminated in the first round and have a lot of question marks, but they are firmly, in my opinion, out of that top contender tier. So I'm going to name this, I'm cheating in the first one, somewhere in between. It's not really a slump, but it's not really serious. Um, it, by the way, a slump means it's a slump. They're going to turn it around and be fine. Serious means they're in serious trouble. Um, just for some clarification. Um, yeah. but, uh, I think it's somewhere in between, in between. Uh, I think they will be better than this, but they won't be where people thought they were. So it's somewhere in between. I'm going to stay in the West for my second team. The Utah jazz just beat the Celtics, uh, today to move to six and six, <coughs> excuse me. Um, 14th ranked offense and 14th ranked defense. Um, Again, those numbers were pulled before tonight's game, so they could change. I'm naming this just a slump. Um, I think that Donovan Mitchell has missed some time. Obviously, he's a key part of their team, and they really are competitive. I mean, before tonight's game, they had a plus 0.8 net rating, so they actually had a positive net rating despite being they were 5-6 and six coming into tonight. 
I think this is really just a slow starting team. We saw it last year. They started 19 and 28 last season and finished with 48 wins. So, you know, hopefully they stay healthy. Hopefully Gobert doesn't go down. Hopefully Mitchell can stay healthy moving forward. I just think it's a slow starting team that once they hit the ground running, once they just find their stride, they're going to go on a winning streak and be totally fine as like a top four seed in, in the West. I think it's just going to be a slump. I've seen, you know, enough from them to show they're competitive. They play the right way. They're well coached. Um, They'll catch people off guard with the altitude in Utah. I think it's just a slump for the Jazz, and I think they're going to be fine. And then the Wizards are my final team. And by God, oh my God, uh-huh. two and nine, minus nine point five net rating. The twenty second offense, the twenty eighth ranked defense. Uh, I mean, t- first of all, they are so bad on rebounding. They're thirtieth in offensive rebounds and 29th in defensive rebounding. I mean, it's just abysmal. I mean, it's poor. An inconsistent effort defensively. The offense and like Wall and Beal are getting their numbers, but they're just not effective. Like Kelly Oubre is a perfect example of somebody who he's going to enter restricted free agency. He's he is playing to be paid. You know he is not he he's playing to get his numbers. His his defensive effort's been really inconsistent. Otto Porter's been struggling so far and got confidence issues. And the team like the Rockets can't hit a three. They're down to thirty two point one percent on three pointers, which is a staggeringly low number. And that that'll revert a little bit back to the mean. But if the defense and the rebounding doesn't improve, they're in real trouble. So I I only label this somewhere in between because they cannot be this bad. Like like they can be bad. They can miss the playoffs, but they cannot be two and nine. Almost a minus ten net rating, bad. So I, I label it somewhere in between. I, I, I'll lean more towards serious because they're in real trouble now after getting blown out by the Magic tonight. Um, but they're this can't be who they really are. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe they just blow up the roster t- a couple weeks from now, like you said last week on the show, and things are drastically different and they just suck this year. But I still feel like somehow they're going to get on some kind of streak where they're like an average five hundred team at the end of the year. And, Honestly, they could still sneak into the AC. So I think it's somewhere in between leaning more towards Sirius, and that'll wrap up my three points. I like it. Speaking of three points, haha, <laughs> I'm going to go and talk about, and, and it's kind of shocking, but Derrick Rose as a three-point shooter, I, I think it's something that none of us anticipated. It's just a little bit. I guess as, as a Lakers fan, I, I kind of have to put this in context. But he went off against LA this past week with seven three-pointers in the game. That was tied, which I did not know this, but this is tied with Zach Levine for second most in Minnesota history in, in a game, shooting-wise. For for the career, I think for his career, I'm looking at this right now, I have the numbers pulled up, and of course, that'll be the time that it stalls on me. But um, yeah, it, it's not even the shots he's taking, it's, it's how he's taking them. For example, one, he's never been a great outside shooter. I think we all know this. He's been back from high school. Um, the scouting report, I actually looked at his research on this one, was was not high on him being a, a, a volume, not even a volume shooter, but a shooter from, you know, deep. He was good with mid-range, and that was pretty much it. He's been insane. Even before the season, the highest he shot from the three-point line was 34%. Right This season right now, he's knocking down uh, 46% of his three-point shots. Tonight, this game just ended. He ended up three for six from three. It, it's It's kind of crazy. And I'm trying to think of players, I was trying to think of players who made the same sort of astronomical jump from not being a great three-point shooter to a proficient three-point shooter. 
and, and whether or not it would last. Uh, only person I could really think of was Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd didn't really become a three-point threat until late in his career. But if you look at all of his seasons, it, he never stopped shooting them. They just weren't really going in until later in his career, mm-hmm. um, particularly with Dallas. And, and, and that was the thing. But I was saying players like Kawhi, um, his first season in the league, he shot 30%. He was a, a decent shooter, just wasn't that type of shooter. Blake Griffin was another player who really developed a three-point shot over time. One person I read a scouting report on, on the DX and, and how he's improved from there, Paul Millsap, mm-hmm. who, if you first read it, um, his scouting report from back in the day, they, they said he wasn't even comfortable shooting out, operating outside of 12 feet in general. Um, to making himself be a three-point shooter. Another person I could think of was Al Horford, um, and he wasn't really a shooter in college. But that type of – I think this NBA has already shown it, where players who normally wouldn't shoot the three – and this is usually primarily with bigs. Um, we saw Jonas Valanciunas do it last year. I think I've seen Taj Gibson <laughs> light it up from three recently. I know you know a few players off the top of your head that don't shoot threes that have been taking them this year. Um but for a player who's already been in the league established and Derrick Rose, that sort of year-on-year improvement is kind of out of nowhere. And I just want to give some light to that. Really, just on a whole, I guess, shooters that have developed just because of the way the league has gone, that have either been forced either by design or just natural development in their own play style to develop that outside shot. But with Derrick Rose, he, I didn't even see anything in his form that was redeemable just because he used so much of his legs. And I'm not a shot doctor by any stretch of the imagination, no. But for all of a sudden, be shooting a three with that type of confidence. And mind you, it was it was all over the place. It was insane. I had to give a three points. I thought it'd be funny to make three points my third point on a three point shot. I did that by design, yo. That was that was next level thinking, light years ahead. Yes, you gotta you gotta use the segment name sometimes. They lend themselves to perfect per perfect points and perfect takes. Perfect. That's just why I did it. Exactly. All right, let's uh, let's move on to our fourth segment. Got to get a little bit negative now. We're gonna go with the something foul, which is, again is basically our worst of the week and. Uh, so it's funny because I was preparing some of these notes on Thursday and I did it earlier in the afternoon and I, and I put down the Suns as my something foul. And then they came out and were up by like 20 against the Celtics. I said, oh no, I got to change it. I got to think of something else. So then I started, <laughs> I started looking up some of the city edition uniforms for some of the teams and I was going to just talk about some of the teams that have the worst city uniforms as my something foul. And then of course the Suns blow that game. So then the Suns, I went back in to, to put the Suns back in my something foul. So yes, after all of that, the Suns are still my something foul. They are now 2-9. and nine. Um, Everyone remembers that fun opening night win, right? Because they're 1-9 and nine since that game. Um, and what happens is just the, not only the inconsistency, but, you know, they won a game, a good game against the Grizz at home, and then they got completely controlled by the Nets um, at home again. And then they had a complete collapse against the Celtics. They were up by 16 with basically five minutes left, and they lost that game. The poor execution down the stretch, just, you know, of course, youth and inexperience is going to, you know, rear its head in, the, in those type of games, especially against a team like the Celtics that seems to always operate down the stretch. Um, but then I think it was after that Nets game, you had Devin Booker complaining about the, the team's effort and, and how much losing is going on. And, you know, Josh Jackson has fallen out of the rotation completely. Um, in November, he's playing under 11 minutes per game. Um, Ryan Anderson is giving them completely nothing. Obviously, the point guard w- was expected to be an issue and has obviously been an issue because Devin Booker cannot handle the load he has of being a ball handler for basically 40 minutes a night and having to look for a shot and create for somebody else while also trying to create for himself against good defenses. Good, good defenses. He cannot do that um, night in and night out. 
Um, and obviously the point guard is a, a gaping hole. You saw Chandler was bought out, and you know he wasn't he wasn't good for them. But I want to well, I want to see what happens with Ariza come the trade deadline because at this point on this pace they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. And I think Ariza ultimately signed on for the money, of course. Um, but I'm sure he does not. I'm sure he might have thought that he could have made them somewhat of a more competitive team, or they would have just been a little bit more competitive. I, I'm sure. Come January, he's going to be in a bad mood playing on a team that's ten and thirty or something like that. Um, so because because of just you know they they actually won a good game against the Grizzlies and they were not going to be my something foul, but then they got completely controlled by the Nets and they had a monumental collapse. Booker's Booker's complaining. Josh Jackson's out of the rotation. Anderson's giving them nothing. Point guard, of course, is giving them nothing. One veteran's been bought out. Will another be bought out? Come the deadline for this week and probably many more moving forward. The Suns are my something foul. Wow, there you go. I was going to actually use them as my second point. I'm actually glad I didn't. It worked perfectly with the synergy here for you to take <laughs> something foul. But, yeah, I was going to call it Phoenix Wow something foul. But, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to use, and we already talked about them, but the Washington Wizards. I mean, even after this loss to the Magic today, and mind you, they came back to within one point with about two and a half minutes left after they were chilling by 25 points, which is positive for – you know, a team that, that, I mean, there's something. And to come back from that, they could have easily, you know, slumped their shoulders and, and, and bowed out then. But they fought back. They end up slumping their shoulders after they lost for good. But um, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know how many times I could say, you know, they need to switch things up. Coach Brooks got to get fired or, or Grunfield got to go or, or whatever. Um, Bradley Beal and John Wall both played 42 minutes on the first night of a back-to-back simply because the Wizards wanted to win so badly. I mean, and, and, and if you watch the game, Brooks was going with, so many different type of lineups to to just see what would stick to the wall. Um, I like the one, and it was the pointing out with Wall, Beal, Austin Rivers, Kelly Oubre, and Green. That was the the small ball lineup, and they really pulled them in. Um, as far as you know, being frantic on the defensive end, scoring on the break, um, they ended up knocking down some three point shots, but. They, they fell apart again. Um, DJ Augustine basically took over, orchestrating at the end, and. The Wizards started arguing, inventing to officials. Um, Jeff Green being the voice of reason. And that's no slight on Jeff Green. He's, by all accounts, a stand-up guy. But, I mean, he's not really known for his locker room presence in a team that has a, a bunch of negative locker room presences in them, presences in them. And I don't really know how it's going to be changed because we already talked about trade ideas and, and things of this and that sort. And uh, it's clear to me that John Wall, Bradley Beal, and um, Otto Porter just aren't playing well together, period. And you already mentioned Kelly Oubre Jr. They're just – they're foul. We were talking about the point. All I had to do was say Washington Wizards foul, and you would understood. But I had to try to make some sense of it. It's just it's, – it's unbelievable almost, inexcusable definitely. And, I mean, this team has too much talent to be where they are, but not just where they are. But they don't project to have any positive signs coming up in the future. And sometimes teams just run out. Like the Clippers just ran out. Like it was, it was past. It was just time to break it up. And the Wizards never really had at least the regular season success of the Clippers. Like the Clippers won fifty, fifty-five plus games every regular season. Obviously, they had so much playoff disappointment. The Wizards actually did something in the playoffs. Got two conference finals, conference semifinals with this core. Um, they seem to always outperform their regular season performance in the playoffs. Um, while the Clippers are like the opposite, they always be better in the regular season. But sometimes teams just run their course, and at some point you just got to blow it up. And obviously the Clippers had an easier path to blow it up because Paul was unrestricted free agent, and then they traded Blake, and then they let DeAndre go. The Wizards are in a different scenario where all their guys are, are signed long-term. So it's a little bit different for them to blow it up, and blowing it up means 
you know, firings in the front office or, or coaching staff and then trying to trade away some of their players. But given Wall's contract, given Porter's play this season on his deal, it's going to be hard to move him. And you probably want to focus on keeping Beal out of those three. So it'll be tough to, to blow him up, but something has to be done. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned that. We will transition now into our fifth and final segment, the and one. And my and one is actually about those same Washington Wizards. Um, because at some point it's like we're playing we're playing with ourselves by saying oh this is when they this is the time for the wizards to turn it around but this is literally the stretch for the wizards to turn things around and i i know they just lost the magic and are 2 and 9 um, <laughs> right but their upcoming schedule is this they have at the heat which will be a tough game of course but the heat beat them already once this season you'd hope if the wizards have some kind of you know integrity they want to get some revenge then they have the same magic team at home so you can't get embarrassed twice in one week by the Magic. That's against the rules of the NBA. Um, then you have the Cavs at home. Again, the worst team in the league. And then you've got the Nets at home. And the Nets are no pushover by any means. They just won in Denver. They're 6-6. Six and six. They're feisty. But that's still a game at home. So those are four winnable games. Three of them at home. Two and nine. If you win all four, you're six and nine. Things are looking a bit better. If you drop... If you drop Two of those games, you're poof, forget about it. But then you look at see, what what makes this so urgent for the Wizards and why it became my some why it became my end one is because after those four games, this is their stretch. This is their schedule: Lakers at home, at the Raptors, Pelicans and Rockets at home, at the Pelicans, at the Sixers. That is six wow, teams yes. that are most likely going to be in the playoffs in some form or the other. Probably all win at least forty five games or so. You know, three of those games on the road. I mean, they really, in this upcoming stretch, they really need to go like three or one or four and no because they need to get some confidence. They need to get some momentum before they face an absolute onslaught to close out November. So, I mean, this is the time. I mean, they're two and nine. They've got four winnable games in front of them. If they win all four, the, the chatter around them will stop a little bit. If they drop like two of them, or if they go one and three, or God forbid, oh and four. Then it's you know complete chaos, complete alarm, you know emergency, you know time for them. So that's my end one. And before I forget, Randall Watch hashtag Randall Watch. I didn't forget there about it. There we go. Um, he is seven for twenty, a solid thirty-five percent on threes, which is basically league average. A solid improvement for Randall. So Julius Randall hashtag Randall Watch is seven for twenty. And with that, I'll wrap up my end one. There we go. So mine is actually two, I guess, mini end ones. Um, just just very brief on it, but. One, the Timberwolves did lose by 11 to the Sacramento Kings. So they went 0-5 on their road their um, their um road trip, which is concerning. And it really highlighting the dysfunction that is around Jimmy Butler and will he or won't he play. And just Carl Lee Towns' lackluster play. And Derrick Rose being the highlight of the Timberwolves for a variety of reasons, not a story you want to go with. So I think it's going to be important to see how the Timberwolves respond they play Monday, and this is going to be a test for them against the Brooklyn Nets, followed by Wednesday against the Pelicans, the Trailblazers, and the Grizzlies. And then they play one more at home against the Nuggets. So from this Monday through next Wednesday, all these games are tests for Minnesota. The Nets are no pushover. The Pelicans are the Pelicans, Blazers, the Grizzlies, and the Nuggets are all currently, if the players are start right now, make the playoffs. And, I mean, aside from the Grizzlies, I think all those teams will. So – this will be a great test for Minnesota as they try to figure out how to navigate this just PR disaster. Um, and then another game, just a single game I'm looking forward to, is next Thursday. Yep. Uh, 6 o'clock, Warriors versus Rockets. 
Um, West Conference Finals rematch. Two teams going in very, I don't want to say different directions, but they're nowhere where we expected them to be. One is obviously at the top, the Warriors, and I actually thought they'd be a little bit, I thought they'd go off to a little bit of a slower start just because of the whole narrative of there's nothing to play for right now. We're just going to wait till, you know, the playoffs, see what happens then, that sort of thing. I thought they'd have some fatigue there, but no, they're polished and working. There's still some minor things to see, but, uh, and whether Steph Curry recovers from this um, abductor strain just is, is a concern. But other than that, this, this Warriors team is just as dominant as they were. And for the Rockets, I think it's a great test for them because they've been playing, as we've seen, uh, just a whole lot of mixed bags. But um, I think something's going to fire them up when they play the Warriors. I just, I just think that'll be the game if there's a game to snap them out. I think playing against the Warriors and kind of seeing just how close they got and to where they are now. And in just that one game, I'm looking forward to it. That, that's all I got to say. I didn't even properly contextualize that whole thing, but I'm ready for it. I'm not sure seeing Carmelo Anthony be slaughtered every possession on defense is going to wake the Rockets <laughs> up. But, uh, I mean, listen. I, I mean, at I, least Chris Paul. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of things to look forward to in that game, but one of them, no joke, is how much and how well the Warriors attack Melo. Because, I mean, every the Rockets did that to the Thunder last year. Just target Melo basically every possession. And you know the Warriors are going to do it this year. So you want... I hope I hope Daryl Morey, I hope every Rockets fan is, who ever supported the Melo signing watches that game and just sits there and watches every possession straight. Get Melo on Curry. Get Melo on Durant. Get Melo on Curry. Get Melo, if, they, if he plays, of course. Uh, on yeah. Durant. Get Melo on Clay. Blah, blah, blah. And just gets torched. 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 And then Melo comes back. Brick three. Brick three yells at Chris, who yells at James, who yells at Clint, who yells at Gary Clark and an undrafted rookie. Uh, I mean, oh, it's wow. going to be. Of course, now watch Melo, watch Melo put up twenty five points in that game and actually, you know, play well. Um, but I think that's going to be a rude awakening for for Daryl Morey. I mean, listen, it's so weird because, and I was listening to Dunked On. I think it was yesterday's episode, or, or mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, and they were just talking. They were like. Like we, someone has got to get to Daryl Morey in like a a hidden interview that like is off the record but on the record at the same time and and like just ask him like if he actually thought signing Melo was a good move or because Chris Paul wanted it like that has got to be I mean because for him for Daryl Morey one of the most respected basketball minds um, of the of the past decade really um, to to actually think that Carmelo Anthony signing Carmelo Anthony would be a good move in this in the context of facing the Golden State Warriors then I think someone should check, you know, what drinks he was drinking, you know, in that week when they signed him and, and see if they were drugged or not or, or someone <laughs> that hypnotized him because... Mello had some dirt on him or something. Uh, something, because for, for someone of, of Maury's of, you know, reputation of, of, what he, of the moves he's been able to make using analytics and all the advanced numbers and finding players under the radar, for him to sign Mello, who even to the casual fan, not, not the casual Mello stand, but the casual basketball fan like me and you could notice that Mello was washed and could not stand a chance in a Warriors series, um, especially defensively. For him to think it was a good idea to sign him, I think there's something more to it than Maury thought it was good. I think it was more like, hey, Daryl, I'm Chris Paul. I, I'm a key part of this team. You just resigned me to a four-year deal. Make me happy by signing my friend Carmel Anthony who can shoot a lot of threes for us and not play defense. That sounds like fun. Exactly, which always goes to show you that you know, especially star players are not the best of talent evaluators. Um, usually, not. you see that when they're a GM, but whatever. <laughs> I actually have a question for you. Do you think that uh, Melo is going to stick the year out in Houston? I hate saying it's so early and just curious. What do yeah, you think? I think so because I think there's no way they can spin it to Chris. First of all, he's never going to not. He's never going to be kicked out of the rotation because 
then you're just going to have so many issues with Ingram, Chris Paul with his friend not playing. Then Melo and D'Antonio will probably go at it because they obviously they still don't like each other. It's clear that they still don't like each other. Um, <laughs> and you, you're not going to sit him out of the rotation. You're not going to straight up cut him because, again, that's the same situation. Hey, Chris, we're cutting your best friend because he sucks. <laughs> um, and Sorry, we, pal. We want to we want to be good. Um, he's going to be pissed off. He's also not playing well. He's gonna be he's gonna be angry because he's not playing well. He's gonna be angry that they cut Melo. Then there's gonna be other chemistry issues, and who knows if they add Jimmy Butler? That's a whole other personality. Especially if they keep Melo and somehow add Jimmy Butler, like that locker room. My goodness, you want to talk about filming a soap opera? Uh, we got one right there in Houston. But I think there's no way he's not a, a seventh man or better. Um, depending on injuries, you know, when they're healthy, he's probably still their seventh or eighth man every night playing 20, 25 minutes per game. Um, and it's going to kill them every single night. Yeah. I think you just accurately foretold the rest of the Houston Rockets season. It's pretty, it's pretty predictable unless they just go, unless they start shooting their threes at an elite rate and, or they make a trade for Jimmy Butler. Uh, unless that happens, I think the defense, the offense, I think, will improve and is a little bit less predictable, but the defense is very predictable because they don't have the talent. Because if you're playing Gerald Green, I like how he got into a Rockets rant after finishing the end one. Um, but, oh, I love it. <laughs> um, if you're playing Gerald Green and Carmelo Anthony, like, key minutes off the bench, your defense sucks. Like, I, I don't care who... I, I don't care if you've got prime Jordan and Rodman and everyone else around them. Your defense is going to be mediocre at best, but they've got... Um, Isaiah Hartenstein and Marquise Chris behind them and you know that's a recipe for complete disaster um, and they're not hitting their shots so it's a recipe for disaster on both ends so I think the exactly. defense is pretty predictable moving forward barring significant talent upgrades on the roster which are always hard to get done midseason exactly oh speaking of defense didn't um, Jeff Bet I forgot his last name or not didn't forget how to pronounce it but didn't wasn't he Melo's first coach and got I think fired or let go 28 games in because of an inability to master Melo uh, I think he was. Uh, I'm gonna look it up right now. Uh, he was a, a. I think he was an interim or something with the Nuggets. Oh, that's I'm why. I'm gonna look it up. Just, yeah. Um, then I, he, uh, he was. Uh, uh, he was named the head coach on August 2002. The team struggled in this first year. They bounced back in his second year. Um, Nuggets improvement. Blah, blah, blah. He was. With him for the 0304 season, they won 43 games and made the playoffs. And then he was fired the next year after starting 13 and 15. So he he had one and a half Definitely. years with Melo. Um, he's actually coming back, so we'll see what he can do on the defensive end. Um, and it was funny because when he retired, people made so many jokes like Bizdelic walks into team practice, sees Melo, immediately leaves building and retires. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm actually reading something right now in 2004. Um, from an incident between Carmelo and, and Jeff Bezdelek, or yeah, I said it right, um, after he threatened to bench Melo, who was bristling at what he regarded as unfounded criticism from his coach. Oh, How God. much you want to bet that was over defense? Oh, Sorry. God. All right, so after that rant, that'll conclude this week's episode <laughs> of the 94 NBA podcast. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Sparrows NBA. You can follow um, the site account at the 94 underscore, or you can follow us on Instagram um, at the 94 feet. Uh, follow, like us on Facebook as well. Um, you can get all of our content there. Of course, check out our website, um, the94feet.com. Uh, Corbin, you can obviously throw out where people can follow and engage with you at Corbin Ford NBA and also as Eric said at the Twitter site at 94 um, a lot of content there just trying to start a discussion you know I might even go into 
um, you know, some Periscope or something coming up. We'll see what happens just to get some more engagement. I want to talk, y'all. Come on, help me out. <laughs> yeah, guys, come on. Engage with Corbin. And definitely listen to Corbin on the uh, the Daily Morning Shootaround podcast that we've got going Thank on Monday you. through Friday. Um, that's always some great fun for your morning commute or, or morning workout or whatever like that. So follow us, engage with us, um, enjoy our content, and we will talk to you guys next week in next week's episode. Take care. All right, y'all.